0: This podcast is brought to you by Jason Harris, the author of a new book entitled The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Please listen to podcast number 750, where Jason and Greg speak about the four principles of the soulful art of persuasion, which are being original, being generous, being empathetic, and being soulful. These principles make up the foundation of Jason's book, and if you are looking to become better at persuading anyone, these principles are key and they really work. Please listen to podcast number 750 with Greg and Jason speaking about The Soulful Art of Persuasion. If you want to learn more about Jason and his ad agency, please visit www.mechanism spelled m e k a n i s m.com. You can also learn more about Jason's book by visiting www.thesoulfulartofpersuasion.com. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyson, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Whitney, as I do every time, I always thank my listeners because without the listeners, who has a podcast? You've got your own podcast, so you know. It's all about the followers and the listeners, and it always amazes me at the number of new people that are listening to the show. And again, thank you, everybody, for listening. And today, joining up from Los Angeles is Whitney Johnson. She's the author of several books, but we're going to be talking about her new book called Building an A-Team. Whitney, good day to you. How are you doing?
2: Good morning. I'm doing fine. Thank you, Greg, for having me.
1: Well, it's great having you on. I know you have your own podcast show, and I always like to let my listeners know a little bit about our guests and authors. Um, Whitney is one of the 50 leading business thinkers in the world through Thinker50, which for many of you know, Marshall Goldsmith was pretty heavily involved in that, and an expert on disruptive innovation and personal disruption, a framework codified in the critically acclaimed book, which was her first book. Is that your first book, Disrupt Yourself?
2: It was actually my second book.
1: Setting. Oh, second. Okay. Putting the power of disruptive innovation to work, as well as this award-winning book we're going to be talking about, uh, A-Team. Um, published by Harvard Business Press uh, last year. Her proprietary framework and diagnostics were developed after co-founding the Disruptive Innovation Fund with Harvard Business School's Clayton Christensen. Uh, She is formerly an award-winning stock analyst on Wall Street, a coach to Harvard Business School executive education, and in 2019 was ranked number three on the Global Guru's Top 30 Organizational Cultural Professional. And so... And it goes on and on. Well, Whitney, it's great to have you. And for my listeners, if you want to learn more about Whitney, it couldn't be any easier. Just go to WhitneyJohnson.com. That's dot N.com. You can check her out there, her podcast, speaking books, order books, and uh, learn more about Whitney. Well, Whitney, I always like to start these uh, interviews off and, you know, yours is about building an A-team with inside a company. And it's really, you're focusing on, you know, how do we give the employees what they want and how do we keep them as continual learners? And you tell a great story. We were just talking a second before, because you were down here in San Diego, uh, about a company here in San Diego, um, which was the formation of that company and the evolution that ultimately disrupted I'm going to call it the lubrication market. How's that? Can you tell that story and how this relates to how this A-team was built over time? I mean, it, I didn't even know it went back to 1953. Yeah. I didn't know that, that it had started way back then. <laughs>
2: It, yeah, it's such a great story. And so I'm going to set it up and, and have your listeners have a little bit of suspense since you haven't named the mystery company yet. So yeah. let's set the stage for all of you who are listening. And I want you to imagine that you've just gotten a call from a headhunter. And it's for a job with a company that makes a product, like Greg just said, that was invented over 60 years ago. Um, it the time, it was really important. It kept rockets. It kept missiles from rusting. But since then, since those 60 years ago, not much has changed, not even the label. Like, this is not a flashy company. It's not a Silicon Valley company. And so the question I would ask all of you is, would you be interested? Like, if the headhunter calls you, would you say, yeah, 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 I, I want to talk. I want to hear more. And a lot of you are going to be like, no, not really, not too exciting. But what if I give you a little bit more information? I tell you that people love to work at the. They don't like it. They love it. So their engagement scores are over 90% plus. That's versus an average in the United States of 30% for your international audience. That's an average of 15%. So engagement scores off the charts. People love to work at this company. And one more piece of data I'll give you. Their market capitalization over the last 20 years has increased from $250 million to $2.5 billion, so an increase of 10 times, significantly outperforming the S&P 500. And you're like, okay, this is sounding more interesting, right? It's a lot more interesting. Well, here's the mystery company. The mystery company is WD-40. They make a can of oil. They stop things from squeaky. It's not flashy. And so the question then becomes, why do people love to work in this company? And what we discovered is when we researched the company, when we, when we interviewed the CEO, Gary Ridge, and I was actually just with the company last week, we discovered something very interesting, which is this is a company that you they have three of their senior people. They started as a receptionist. One is now the company brand manager. This is a company that allows people, requires them, encourages them, but certainly requires them to disrupt themselves. Um, to um, basically reinvent themselves through repeated personal disruptions to learn, leap, and repeat. And our thesis is, and, and what we're seeing proving out with companies over and over again, is the thing that we're, that motivates people, even beyond praise, Um, certainly beyond compensation is this opportunity to learn. And when you work at WD-40, you have the opportunity to learn, to disrupt yourself, to learn, leap, and repeat. And that is why people like to work there, even though it's not a flashy company.
1: Well, WD-40 might not be a flashy company, but a sustainable product that everybody needs. (laughs) I've used uh, WD-40, I can't tell you for how many years. And when you look on the shelf, it's the only thing you grab off of the shelf. So I can see why they have such great market share because whatever the secret formula is, (laughs) the stuff works amazingly well. How's that? (laughs) So uh, good. uh, kudos to them. And and Gary is a wonderful guy. Now you state to build an A team that we need to focus on helping people learn uh, to become better continual learners. In other words, anybody who listens to podcasts, anybody who goes to continuing education courses, it's really about today's world is moving so fast that you've got to stay as a continual learner. What is the S-curve of learning all about that you speak about in the Burke book so highly?
2: Yeah, okay. So the S-curve of learning. Um, first of all, what I want you to do is I want you to picture in your mind this S. So you've got this flat bottom and almost looks like a roller coaster. So flat bottom and then you have this steep incline and then it flattens off at the top. And the S-curve itself was originally popularized by E.M. Rogers in 1962. So we've got a lot of going on with this 50 and 60 years ago. Um, popularized by E.M. Rogers and um, to help people figure out how quickly an innovation would be adopted. We used it at our Disruptive Innovation Fund to figure that out with investing. And so what that S-curve tells you is that at the base of the S, growth will be slow. Because even though things may be growing quickly, the exponential growth is not yet obvious. So growth, lots of time passes, growth is very slow. But then at some point, um, it's going to hit the knee of that S um, or, or there's just the inflection point where it moves into the steep part or hyper growth. And then at saturation of the market, that growth, you get to the top of the S and it tapers off. Well, the big insight, the big aha that I had is we were using this S curve for investing is that the S curve could actually be applied to people. It could help us understand how you and I learn and grow and develop. And so let me walk you through that. What it means is that every time you start a new project, you start a new role, you start anything new, you are at the bottom of that S. And so it tells you that by definition the growth is going to feel like it's happening really really slowly and then the the good news though in knowing that is that okay well i know it's supposed to be slow or it looks looks slow at least and so i'm not going to get quite so discouraged and then you move to that knee of that curve or the steep part and now the growth is accelerating and so whereas at the low end it took a lot of time for it to look like anything was happening now in a little time a lot happens. So this is the exhilarating part of your learning. It's exciting. Things are hard, but not too hard, easy, but not too easy. That's the sweet spot of your S. And then you get to the top and things are become very easy. You've mastered it. You know what you're doing, but you're not feeling exhilarated like you were on the sweet spot. And so whereas at the low end, you were overwhelmed and then you were exhilarated. Now there's a sense of underwhelm because you're not learning like you were and you're not getting the dopamine that comes, those feel-good effects that come with learning. You start to get a little bit bored and so you experience what we call sort of this dilemma the innovators dilemma whether you jump to a new s curve or not you've got risk but everyone if you think about your life your career etc each one of us are on an s curve of learning and when we understand that we can figure out how to gain momentum along that s curve and then also recognize if you look back at your life, you've climbed that S-curve and every three or four years, it's time for you to jump to a new S-curve and do something new. So you learn, you leap and repeat. But again, everyone's on an S-curve of learning, including you, Greg. Uh,
1: I <laughs> totally am. I like it. Learn, uh, leap and repeat, you know, constantly. And I know that when you talk to speakers or even podcasters, like uh, you said, oh my gosh, you are you were at the top of the curve when you started do- doing podcasts. Yes, it's true. Uh, people used to say, well, you know, do you ever get nervous doing them? I used to get really nervous, just like speakers the first time, but they say, hey, it's always good to have butterflies in your stomach before something, uh, especially going out and speaking before a large group of people. And, Absolutely. you know, and, and I really think there is, it's that adrenaline rush that you get by uh, actually doing something new and exciting Now, you mentioned that as a manager hiring inside a company, uh, someone new, right? You might have, it might be a little bit challenging because they're at the bottom of that S-curve. And the manager might doubt a little bit about how long it's taking this person to come along the S-curve. And you say that there are two types of risk here. Um, Can you speak with our listeners about the two types of risk and the doubts that a manager might have when they hire somebody new for a position and how long it's taking them to learn and actually get along the S curve.
2: Yeah. So whenever you hire someone new, so, so a moment ago, I said that, you know, for the person in that role, because they are new and they're trying to figure things out, there's like this jumble of puzzle pieces, a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle and you put them all on the table and you don't yet know how they fit together. That's experience that your new employee is having this, this sense of overwhelm, but it means for you as a manager or leader who's hired this person, you're like, they're going to be great in this role, but now it looks like oh, they're not making any progress, and so for you, you can feel some sense of impatience or wondering if, in fact, you hired this person into the right role. What we've seen in our research, and this really does map against the 10,000-hour rule if you're working only 40 hours a week, is it's going to take you about six months, really, six months to a year, sometimes it's going to be shorter, but on average, six months to really move into that sweet spot of the S-curve, and so it help, it's helpful for you to know as a manager, okay, so what do I need to do? What can I do so that this person can move into that sweet part of the curve as quickly as possible, um, and, and that includes things like really tightly scoped assignments so that they can get feedback very, very quickly. Um, you know, I need you to work on this assignment or this project that may take them a couple of hours, a couple of days, they're getting information, lots and lots of information that allows them to iterate and gain momentum more quickly. Now, you asked this question about market, uh, the right kinds of risk. And I want to just make sure before I answer that question, are you asking me to talk about market versus competitive risk? Or are you asking me to talk about Another kind of risk in mind. I want to make sure I answer the question.
1: No, market versus competitive risk. Yeah, that was uh, the the follow on question. Yes.
2: Okay. excellent. All right. So whenever you jump to a new S curve, um, there are two kinds of risks that I want you to think about. And this is when you're starting on that S curve or, or jumping to a new S curve. There's competitive risk and there's market risk. And this, by the way, is that very first accelerant of personal disruption, our personal disruption framework. It's taking the right risks. So competitive risk is, it looks like there's a huge opportunity, but there's also a lot of competition. So in the business sphere, you've sculpted out, you've done these projections, you're like, this looks fantastic, but you know there's a lot of competition in order to gain market share. Market risk looks very different. You don't know if there's a market, you don't know if there's an opportunity, but if there is, because it's new, um, you if, if there is that market, then there's go- not going to be any competition. Now, what does that look like for you personally as you're thinking about jumping to a new S curve? So competitive risk looks like big job, um, but you look around and you go, you know, there's 10 other people or maybe 50 other people who are applying for that job. I've got to figure out if I can compete And win. And sometimes you can compete and sometimes you will win. And most people listening to this podcast have won a lot. So there are times when it absolutely makes sense to take on competitive risk. If you want to win even more, you're going to figure out ways to take on market risk. And market risk looks like you don't know if there's a job, but there is a problem that you think needs to be solved either inside of your current organization or elsewhere. You think you can solve it if you're able to persuade people that it needs to be solved to create that market then there won't be 10 applicants there will be you. And what we know from the theory of disruption and this goes back to Innovators Dilemma written by Clayton Christensen which my work is which is obviously foundational to my work is that when you pursue a disruptive course your odds of success are 6 times higher and your revenue opportunity 20 times greater. So it makes a lot of sense for you to, to look for ways to take on market risk. And I'll say one more thing on this that I think encapsulates this, encapsulates this idea, which is that amateurs compete and professionals create. And so whenever you're thinking about, okay, I wanna to jump to a new S curve, how can I do this? And I wanna move up that S curve quickly. What are ways that I can compete as little as possible and create as much as possible?
1: I think you you put it really well. And I think it is that leap between the S curves that people have to make that um, the risk has to be weighed out. And as you said, um, it's so important to understand that. Um, Now, you remind us in the book that human resources, the goal of it is really to look at it as raw materials instead of finished products. And I love that statement because I think um, human resource people frequently make the mistake and they say, Oh, yeah, you know, I have a finished product here. But you don't really have a finished product when you're hiring somebody new in a company to build an A team. Why is this perce- perspective that we take in hiring so important for a company to kind of embed with inside of the DNA so that they understand to build an A team? Why is that, you know, looking at it a completely new way? Because I think most Mm -hmm. HR departments really do look at it as finished products. They're going, Hey, we found our candidate. We went through 2000 people. This is the best person. And the reality is there's still a learning curve.
2: Right. So the reasons it's important is if you think about this idea from the stock market, I've got a stock market background. You want to buy low and sell high, right? That's how you make money. Well, if you think about this from a hiring perspective, you want to buy low and sell high. Well, if you buy at the high, meaning a person who's at the top of that S-curve, what does that mean? It means, first of all, they're going to pay top dollar. So from an from a ROI perspective, it's a lot harder. But more importantly, when you hire someone at the top of an S-curve who knows exactly what they're doing, what do we know about that person? We know that their dopamine, they're not going to be getting the dopamine hits. They're going to be slightly bored. And so even though it may take them six months or so to figure out how to navigate inside of this organization, there's no upside for them from a learning perspective. And so now you've got this problem of you put this person in a role and within maybe a year, maybe 18 months, they're going to start to stagnate and say, well, what do I do now? What do I do? I'm bored. And, and they're, not going, they're likely to leave, so they become a flight risk much sooner. But then you've also got a problem where you've got people on staff who aren't innovating and most of us have a lot of trouble getting rid of people who are no longer motivated who are stagnating it's very difficult for us to let people go because we like them and we want them and we don't like confrontation for all those reasons and so when you get people at the top of the curve that's the challenge the other piece of this that's really important Is that when you hire people on the launch point of the curve and you give them that opportunity, you're basically hiring for potential, not for proficiency. A couple of things happen. All that value that gets created as they learn, as they develop, you as an organization capture. You get to capture that initial part where they ask questions like, why do we do it like this? And those are questions that open the door to innovation, but you only get them when people are on the launch point of the curve. And I'm not just talking about college graduates. I'm talking about a brand new CFO, a brand new CEO. They see things are not blind to familiarity. Then you get that capture that comes as they move into that sweet spot of the curve where things are hard, but not too hard and easy, but not too easy. And so when you're willing to hire people on the launch point, you capture that value that comes. They are happy because they're learning, and because they're learning, they're loyal. And so you've got now this person who's going to be in this role, very productive for several years. And if they believe that you're willing to hire for potential, that means that we're probably going to have an opportunity to jump to a new learning curve inside of the company as well, which is what we've seen with wd 40 So all sorts of reasons to go back to that stock market maxim of buy low and sell high, hire for potential, not for proficiency, it benefits the individual. And because it benefits the individual and allows them to be a high growth individual, you then have the makings of a high growth organization.
1: Well, I really appreciate the perspective you bring to this because um, I would say that, you know, your message needs to resonate with more and more companies because I don't think they get it. And that comes to the questions you even ask when you're building an A team and you have some of them in there. And I think it's important, the questions that you would actually ask a candidate that you're trying to hire uh, to bring on in almost any position. Can you tell us some of those questions you think that somebody from HR might be listening right now who's probably saying, wow, this is a great new perspective. I should uh, take this upstream and talk to some of my superiors about uh, what Whitney's Mm -hmm. talking about.
2: Yeah, so a couple of thoughts there. First of all, um I I have a, a worksheet and so um Greg, what we can do is if you want, um, send we can send you a link so that people can download the worksheet of it's like twelve questions that people sure. can ask. So sure. if you want to include that in the show notes.
1: and um, you had, here are a couple of And you had some of the questions ahead. in the book themselves too. There were I don't think there were twelve, but yeah, we'd love to give that uh-huh. link to the listeners. That would be a big yeah. added value.
2: Cool. Okay. So, but let me expand on that. So one question that you can ask, and I may have modified this into the book, so you'll just get even more than what's in the book. But one is, when was the last time you disrupted yourself? When was the last time you you know, were doing one thing and then you said, I'm going to go do this other thing and people looked askance at you like, why are you going to go do that? Like you're you're not going to make as much money or you're not going to have what seems to me the same kind of upside and what did that look like? And part of the reason you want to ask them that question is it helps you understand are they willing to take calculated risks? Are they willing to step back in order to grow and, and you know move sideways in order to slingshot forward? So that's one question that you can ask a person. A second question I would ask, and I, because you're, you're always trying to figure out, you've got to test for subject matter expertise, but what you want to figure out is, can this person grow in this role and grow inside of the company? A second one is, when is the last time you got feedback? Now, this is a question that has many layers to it. But one of the reasons that you want to ask this is if the person says, well, you know, I really haven't gotten any feedback um, recently, then what that's potentially telling you, and so you want to double click on this, is it's potentially telling you that this person is not receptive to feedback. And if you, and the only way to get better a lot faster is to be willing to be receptive to feedback. And if they're not receptive to feedback, it means that people have just stopped giving them feedback. So that's one of the things you want to do. Like, when was the last time you got feedback? What was it? What did it look like? What did, what did you do? because that gives you a good sense of how resilient this person is and how quickly they can learn, how quickly they can move up learning curves. And high growth organizations have people capable of moving up learning curves quickly. And then the third question um, I, I like to ask, I think is a really valuable question in, in terms of understanding people is um, this comes from a a great story of, of former President Jimmy Carter, who's you know now won the Nobel Peace Prize, is when he was in the military, like in the 40s, he had his boss, Admiral Hyman Rickover, who's basically the father of, of the modern day submarine. He was interviewing him and he said, he said, you know, where were you in your class um, in the Naval Academy? And he's like, I was like, you know, in the 80s out of 700 people, roughly. And then he asked them this really penetrating question, which was, did you do your best jimmy carter thought about it for a minute and he thought you know i i'm gonna i hit, he thought about saying yes and he realized he said no no i did not here are the things that i could have done differently and i think that's a really important question because if the person will either tell you yes absolutely you will have a sense of if in fact they're telling you the truth or it gives you an opportunity to have them say you know i could have done these things better and it allows for self-reflection, but also an ability to analyze and again, go back to this notion of continuous improvement, which is what you're shooting for when you're hiring for potential, because you're trying to figure out, is this person one that can fulfill the promise, fulfill the potential that I see in them if I hire them?
1: Well, it's, it's certainly something that the HR people in particular uh, need to be more focused on. And this whole concept, I noticed that the way people do evaluations and interact with employees from companies to company, my, my eldest son was an employee at um, Adobe for uh, seven years. And I watched how they did evaluations and you state that new hires need to have a vision. They need to understand the why of their job and how it's necessary. And this basically powers them through difficult times what do you recommend in helping new hires in creating this vision and this plan? I know that some of the most successful companies have gone away from traditional evaluation methods. I've seen everything from, okay, we're going to have your peers evaluate you and see what you're doing. And a lot of them, and, and some of the companies have adopted this, Hey, what's your vision plan, but not very many that I've seen. Um, what do you, what do you recommend there?
2: Yeah. So, um, as with anything new, it's always easier to start with, you know, very small companies or start with your team. Um, and this goes back to a question that you asked earlier. Sometimes it's hard to go to, a, you know, organization that's got tens of thousands of people, even hundreds of thousands of people, and say, "Let's change the way we're doing this." And so, I always recommend that you start with where you are and with your team. And one of the ways that you can do this is you can pull out this S curve and You know, we've got cards that you can use and just draw that S-curve and say, okay, first of all, I want to share with you the why of this organization. Here's why we're doing what we're doing. Second of all, here's the why of our team. What is it we are trying to do um, in order to support our organization? Now, let me share with you as a manager my why, and let me talk to you about what I see for you. You're on this S-curve. I see you here right now. I think in several years, two to three years, three to four years, you can be at the top of this S-curve. And here's what I envision that will look like for you. Um, Here are the things that you're going to do in the interim. But once you get to that top of that S-curve and you execute against the plan, the plan that we have for you, well, and of course, we don't know the exact plan, but there are some certain things that we know need to be accomplished when you get to that top of that S-curve, because your why is to learn and grow and develop because that's part of human nature that's the imperative human nature once you get to that top then we'll find a new s-curve for you to jump to because we're going to value you and we want you to be here etc and so you can then use this s-curve as a tool for having that conversation and ask them where do you think you are right now because they might have a different view as well but it begins it gives you a conversation a way to start that conversation about their development and then about the overall why for the company. And then the last thing I would say on that, and I think this is really important that I say to my new people is, every time I give you feedback, every time I tell you something that needs to be corrected, I want you to remember that that is a message to you that I am invested in you and your development. Because the minute we don't give people that feedback, we've actually stopped investing in them. So every time you get that feedback, It might be hard, but this is me investing in you and your development, your ability to become a high growth individual and climb that S-curve quickly.
1: That's a great way to have somebody actually interact with, a. doesn't matter if it's a longtime employee or a new employee, to really show them where they are in that S-curve. Like you said, you have some cards. We are going to give the listeners those questions Um, and encourage them to go to the website and look for the other resources there. Now you mention at the high end of the S curves about 15% of the workforce. Um, you state that there are three important roles that this group of individuals can play. They can be pace setters, trainers or mentors. Um, can you comment on how we can utilize their improved bandwidth? Because obviously when you get to the high end of the S-curve, it's taking less effort to figure things out to help the other people on the S-curve move along more quickly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you—that you, is why you need 15% of your people at the top of that S curve because they are able to act as this stabilizing force for for people who are trying to disrupt their way up that S curve. And and so if you think about the pace setter, the first thing that you mentioned is it's it's like the pace car in in, in the Indy 500. That person who's at the top of that S curve needs to be setting the pace for everybody else because people are watching you. And so even though it's easy for you, it's important that you continue until you jump to your new S curve, because you will, because that's part of the deal. But until you do that, are you setting the pace for everybody else in terms of your work ethic, in terms of your um, degree of commitment to the success of the people you work with, to your team, to the organization? So that's the first thing. The second thing is to, to train people. Like you've got skills. You've got mad skills now, right? People are coming to you. They're asking questions. Um, is Are you making sure that you see that as part of your responsibility of being at the top of the S-curve and that role that you're playing on the team? One of the things that we haven't talked about yet is one of the ways you become a high growth organization we're seeing in our research is you optimize those S-curves. So, you want to have 15% of your people at the high end, which you mentioned, 70% of your people in the sweet spot, and 15% of your people below end because they all play different roles in terms of the innovation that happens one of them is this idea of training that you um brought up is are you training other people so that they can successfully move along that s curve from both a skills a, a, a subject matter expertise perspective but also from a leadership perspective and then the third one which is somewhat similar to these other ones is are you mentoring these people um mentoring i think is partly about domain expertise, but a lot of it is about the culture and, and how to be able to successfully navigate inside of this culture. And so that's the role that that person plays. It's very important from an innovation. They also give you something to bump up against and say, well, we have tried this, but have you thought about that, this, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's the role that they can play at the top of the curve.
1: Well, Whitney, you've certainly given all those individuals with inside the company, including those people who might be considering joining an A team, uh, something to think about, a new perspective to connect the dots in a different way, to look at their career in a different way from moving from one S curve to another. And I really appreciate the perspective. Um, And for my listeners, we've been on with Whitney Johnson. It's build an A team, play to their strengths and lead them up the learning curve. And I think Our show is always about people who are on continual learning because they wouldn't be listening to these podcasts if they weren't continual learners and wanted to know more about the topics that we cover on the show. So I appreciate you being on. The other one I'll mention is when you go to Whitney's website, and we'll put a link to the other book, um, I didn't get a chance to ask her that question about the seven steps and disrupt yourself, but we'll put a link to disrupt yourself as well. So the listeners can uh, get that. We'll also put a link to these questions that we referenced during the podcast uh, that I'll get from Whitney. Any closing comments, Whitney, that you have for the listeners today?
2: Yes. My final closing comment is remember that everyone's on an S curve of learning, including you. And when you understand that, you can help yourself and you can help the people around you that you work with. That you that you work that work for you, help them build momentum and become a high growth individual because when you're able to learn leap and repeat because we get that dopamine, we're happy, which is ultimately what we're all trying to do is to be happy
1: learn leap, repeat, and try and get into the zone is what I'd say, so great for great having you on Whitney. thanks so much for your wisdom and your knowledge and for putting this out there so people could learn more about the S-curve and becoming continual learners. It was a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth.
2: Thank you, Greg, for having me.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Pamela Mitchell, the author of a new book entitled The Ten Laws of Career Reinvention. Please listen to podcast number 746 where Pamela and Greg speak about what is required to reinvent yourself to be a better candidate for potential employers. Career reinvention is simple, but it's not easy. It requires you to focus on the vision of your future and be really clear about what it is you want. If you are in the middle of a personal career reinvention, then you will want to listen to podcast number 746 where Pamela Mitchell, the author of The 10 Laws of Career Reinvention, speaks about what you can do to better prepare for your next big transition. For more information about Pamela, please visit www.reinvention-institute.com. Thanks for listening.